0: You're going to get one sermon and one song. Those would be some good ones to get. You're going to get that one sermon once again this morning. So, if you have your Bible, uh, would you grab it and open to Exodus chapter 24? We're going to consider the whole chapter today. And the chapter is really told, holding up and holding out to us a picture of grace and the beauty of glory. That's what this chapter is holding out to us. the promise and picture of grace and the the power and the beauty of glory and how one leads to then the other. Hopefully this will be a great encouragement for our souls because maybe we all feel somewhat inglorious or maybe we feel worn down in a wearying world all the more. Maybe we feel... The sting of a relationship that went sideways. Maybe we feel the weight of so many decisions that just sort of hang in the balance. Whatever it might be for us this morning, there's really good news. The God of all grace brings sinners to his glory. It's amazing. If you're there in your your Bible, Exodus chapter 24, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Exodus 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain in 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up And they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray for timely encouragement that you would do a good work in us, in our hearts. Uh, that you would strengthen us, strengthen our faith, help us to trust in you all the more, to to have our hearts reset, to, to know you and trust you and, and hold on to you as you hold on to us. So be with the preaching, the hearing, the receiving of this, your word, we pray, your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's easier to not trust others because you don't want to open up your heart to get hurt. That's a loaded sentence. (laughs) It is, though, isn't it? It's easier to not do that. We don't want to experience loss or betrayal. We don't want to experience regret in our relationships. So it's easier out of self-preservation to just kind of keep people arm's length away, that we don't want to let too many others too close. Relationships require trusted commitment because they can be so incredibly vulnerable. How many of us feel that way with God? That you don't want the wool pulled over your eyes, you don't want the rug pulled out from under your feet, that you don't want to see that this was all just a bunch of nothing, that it was just too good to be true. And so you go through religious motions while still guarding your heart because you don't want to be that vulnerable and trust a God to be what he says he is in his word. Well then, enter with me into Exodus chapter 24. Let's go together and let's take a look, a long look together at at grace on our way to glory. And may it bring to our hearts that may be prone to, to keep things far enough away so as to not feel hurt or vulnerability. Maybe that it would then lead us to then yield our hearts to the God of all grace. Who brings sinners to His glory? That's what we have on display for us. We see a gracious God ratifying and, and making formal a, a a very important and meaningful, lasting, forever kind of relationship with a beleaguered, sinful people, and He gets He shares with them His grace and His glory. May that bring encouragement to you today. As we do that, we need to see our hearts get reset to this. We need you and I, we need our hearts to be reset to trust God. That God is indeed amazing and good and gracious and great and glorious, and we can trust Him. That maybe right now, this morning, that's what we need, whether we're here in this room or we're at our homes. That we need our hearts to be reset to trust in God. To do that, I want us to then see... The purpose of grace. The purpose of grace. And from that purpose of grace, that you and I, we would get to behold the beauty of glory. That's where we're heading in this chapter. And we're going to settle our hearts in the purpose of grace so that through faith and then someday... Some great and glorious day, our faith moves to sight, and our beholding the beauty of God's glory is something that fills our eyes, not just our hearts. That's where we're heading. So first, let's consider in those first 11 verses the purpose of grace, because that's what we have here. This is a very incredibly gracious moment. There's two things that I want us to see in here. First is that the purpose of grace we find is that it ratifies the promise. It ratifies the promise that God has, as we've been working through this series in Exodus, entering into a very special relationship with this rescued people. We call it a covenant relationship, and covenant being a a big word or a, a... A word that's not necessarily used all that often in our everyday life, but it just means an incredibly intensely, affectionately personal, deep, real sort of promise backed relationship. So God is entering that in, into that kind of relationship with his rescued people out of Egypt. That's what he's doing. And here, on this mountain, in this moment, he's, he's ratifying that promise. He's saying that this is being put into effect. I am making this formal. It is backed. It is sanctioned. It is. That's what he's doing. The formal approval or sanction, the putting into effect the parameters Of this incredibly special relationship that he has with these rescued people. God is giving his consent into the covenant, and he is also calling forward the people to respond with their consent. Again, verse 3 of Exodus chapter 24. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. So here it is. This is what God is saying. This is what God is promising. This is what God is bringing and initiating and establishing and making formal. And he's putting his name on it, literally. All right? And all the people answered with one voice. All the words of the Lord has spoken. We will do. And so that's their response in this moment on this mountain. Now, There's something very important here that you can't overlook. We can't skip by. That it's actually deeply, biblically, theologically necessary and true. And it has ongoing daily application for your life, for my life, my heart right now. This relationship was initiated and instructed by God. Don't skip that. God spoke first, God called first. God rescued first. God delivered first. God brought them there first. God first. God graciously stooping down and intervening. God speaking to, entering down, bringing up a people to Himself. God did this first. This, friends, is grace He didn't do it because he looked across the landscape of all of earth and said, oh, this little group of people here tucked away in this little part of the world, they got it right, so I'm going to make a relationship with them. No, they didn't get it right. It was an overflow of his grace that he initiated such a relationship. God calls it into existence. And when Moses instructs the people and they respond... They're following what Yahweh, what God, revealed graciously to them. God's grace came first. And at the heart of God's grace is the initiative to dwell with His rescued people. And at the heart of God's instruction for how the rescued people are to live is His grace. Grace at the start, grace through it all, grace at the end, the grace of God. Maybe maybe just living in a world that we live in now and maybe having the hearts that we have, it's just easy to have some callous or some rough exterior sort of settle in on us. This whole scene... Uh, on, on this mountain in Exodus 24 is an profound picture of God's grace that gives us a glimpse into the purpose of God's grace the purpose of God's grace so that sinners would dwell with him this is profound That we, we shouldn't ever sort of get bored by that. should never be a meh. That God would reach down and provide a grace so that people would know Him. Safe, secure, forever. It's amazing. And then He backs it to show how serious he is in making this relationship established and formal and backed. If you noticed, when we read through that portion, there was a lot of blood involved. shows the seriousness of this relationship, the seriousness of the covenant, the ratification process, if you will, was a bloody one. Look again back at verses 6 through 8. Moses took half the blood and put it in in basins and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What's going on here? Well, this is a picture of how serious God is at establishing and ratifying this special relationship that he has with his rescued people. The blood that gets thrown onto the altar, the altar representing or symbolizing God's presence, and the blood that gets thrown on the people representing their commitment, that blood is pointing to the seriousness of this relationship in that the point of the sacrifices and the point of the blood is this that everybody involved in the covenant, God and the people, are saying, be unto us the same fate as these sacrifices if we break this covenant. That's how serious this is. That's how serious God is about it. Kill me if I don't continue to be God. And the people saying, we deserve the fate if we break covenant with you. So much so that keeping the covenant equals life and breaking the covenant equals death. That's how serious this is. Now we're going to come back to the seriousness of that aspect of this relationship here in a moment but I want you to feel the weightiness of it. Like God isn't entering into this relationship like you and I decide on which coverage we're going to use for our cell phones. (laughs) Or which, you know, which internet company we're going to use in our homes. You make that agreement, you're already looking for something better, right? You're already looking for the way out. You hear a friend who's got some better deal, and you're like, ooh, I want that deal. God isn't acting in that way. He's not looking for a better group of people. He's saying, I'm going to take this seriously. God isn't going to bail on this relationship. All right? Keeping that in mind, the second aspect that we see here in the purpose of grace on display in this chapter is not only to ratify this promise, but it is to satisfy the people. To satisfy the people. The boundaries, if you will, of this covenant relationship we're to ensure the fellowship or the sweetness of the covenant relationship. It's a serious relationship because the sweetness and the vulnerability and the intimacy of the relationship requires such security and protection and backing that God is serious about his commitment because of the nature of relationship he desires to have with his people that he's rescued. The serious of the commitment was to safeguard the sweetness of the relationship. Note this incredibly profound moment, verses 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief of men of the people of Israel, but they beheld God and ate and drank. That, 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 would, that would have been really kind of cool to be invited to. <laughs> that, that would have been a nice little dinner party. <laughs> Definitely feel underdressed. They saw, they sat, they ate with God. Don't let that just like wash past. They saw, and they sat with, and they ate with God. Fellowship. Another word for that is communion. But the purpose of grace is to establish a real, deep, lasting, forever relationship with sinners in such a way that God would commune with them. That they would eat and be satisfied. That they would enjoy the fellowship around a good meal with God. The purpose of grace is to bring sinners into that kind of relationship. It's staggering. It's overwhelming. I hope and pray that it is encouraging for your soul this morning to see the nature and character of God's grace for you. is isn't just to rescue you from your wrong, though that is a part of it, but it is to bring you into the joy of all of his right. Where God says, hey, eat this dish. This is really, really good. Oh, try this one. This is really good too. Come on, eat up, eat up, eat up, eat up. How incredible that he would do this. Now, all of this picture here is a taste of something even greater yet to come. And you probably don't have to think too hard to see where this goes. The blood and the sacrifice and the seriousness of the relationship and the satisfying of all that would be needed so that sinners beleaguered and weary and worn down and dead and waterlogged in sin would be rescued so as to commune with God. It's not hard to see where this is taking us. Christ is the ultimate satisfaction for the people rescued by God's grace because Christ is the ultimate means of ratification for those very people. Christ's blood in our place is then our secure, final, forever establishment of this relationship that God calls so important that He comes in the flesh to rescue us from it from the breaking of it, so as to bring us into a forever established relationship with Him. His blood in our place is the means of our communion. The means of our hearts being satisfied and delighting in God. The Gospel of Mark draws very heavily on Exodus. Throughout the entirety of the gospel account, its structure, its its allusions, and its actual verses that are pulled in, the gospel of Mark is drawing very heavily on Exodus, and it's putting Christ forward as a greater Moses, bringing about a greater Exodus. In Mark chapter 14, verse 24, we find these words that Jesus says during this special meal, before his betrayal and and trial and death and resurrection. He says these words, And he, Jesus, said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Profound. Bringing in Exodus 24 into this incredible moment at an incredible stage of Jesus' earthly ministry, set to accomplish for us what we could never do on our own, to give us what we could never gain. And here we see Jesus is, yes, Jesus is God and Jesus is man, and Jesus is the sacrifice, and Jesus is the blood, and Jesus upholds all that God had promised to do, and Jesus upholds all that man has responded with. Yes, we will do. We will obey, and Jesus is the blood that covers both. All of this to display to you and me the ultimate seriousness and sweetness of the relationship That God has established. With his redeemed. What. Incredible. Grace. What incredible grace. And that's not where it stops. It keeps. Getting. Better. It keeps. Getting more. Incredible. That not only does God do for us what we can't do and overcome all our failures and give to us something we don't deserve and could never gain, he also brings us to a place we could never go, a place to behold his glory, to see the beauty of his glory. So all the purpose of grace is to bring us to the beauty of glory. Here on Exodus twenty four. Consider that the beauty of glory. It's let's take a moment to define it and see it displayed in our passage. We would back in Exodus twenty-four, would you turn your eye to verse fifteen through eighteen? So after that moment of eating and drinking, Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Here we find clouds showing up again, and it's important for us to remember that clouds are associated with the the glory of God's presence. So when we find clouds, oftentimes what's really wrapped up in that is the presence of God, His glory descending in some small measure, mind you, but yet definitely, clearly present is the presence of God. Like, to look up on top of a mountain and see a devouring fire. Kind of a big deal. And so there's God in His presence. And Moses enjoyed the glory of God. He enjoyed this moment. He, he got to, to go up into this cloud. So, so much so that by grace, there's glory. By grace, there's glory. Glory. Now, let's take a second and define glory. What is the glory of God? What is this? There was one pastor who put it in such a great way. I'm just going to quote him. You can see it on the screen. Glory is the going public of God's infinite worth. I love that definition. What is glory? Glory is, is going public with God's infinite worth. Oftentimes, when we think of the word glory, and especially as we see the Bible refer to it, there's a sense of brightness or a radiance that is associated with this idea of glory. So God going public with his glory is this brightness, this radiating awesomeness that goes out. And we oftentimes think of his worth in terms of the word holiness. It's the, it's the sort of culmination. The nature of all of who God is. In all of his worth. So much so that we could just simply say. That glory is the radiance of God's holiness. That God's godness is like the halogen that ends all halogens. It just just bursts forth. It radiates out. Now. That image in mind, apart from God's grace, His glory would incinerate every one of us. It would be too much. We would melt. It's probably the one theologically correct thing from Raiders in the Lost Ark. We would just disintegrate before such glory. Glory. And yet, God, by means of his grace, has provided a way for beleaguered, weary, worn-down, waterlogged sinners such as us to behold such a glory. Staggering. God doesn't invite you into just a smidge of who he is. God calls you to Him and He gives to you all that Christ possesses. In the sense of a relationship. In the sense of experiencing His love, perfect love, Father, Son, and Spirit. In the sense of being declared right because Jesus' righteousness counts now for you so as to bring you to the place where you behold his glory. Just as God initiated, invited his people into the covenant, so he initiates, invites his people to behold his glory. Grace brings sinners into glory. And this might come as a shock to you, but this is also ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Once again, in The Gospel of Mark, which draws again heavily on Exodus. We find this moment, this incredible moment in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 9. I want to read verses 2 through 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. How did he know who they were? For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they were no longer they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Profound moment in Jesus' earthly ministry where the little peek behind the curtain, Jesus is God in the flesh, he's glorious and awesome, and then the curtain closed. <laughs> Just so you guys know, awesome! Yeah. And they're invited and sharing in that moment. And that's, And that's what God is doing, that through Christ, God's grace is poured out in full measure to bring beleaguered sinners such as ourselves into the joy of his glory. Into the joy of his glory. And maybe all of us feel, maybe for some of us in here, all of this really feels far from us. Maybe you feel weary and you feel worn down in this life. Maybe you wonder if God would actually really care for you in such a way. Maybe you treat yourself like you're JV. And God only gives his attention to the varsity. And you're glad that you get a jersey, but you know it was last year's jersey. And you're feeling this far, this distance, this this gap, this this like you, you don't experience this thing that I've been harping on, this grace that brings to glory, and you feel like empty. And actually, if anything, it doesn't make you feel encouraged. Right now you're saying, Sean, I feel discouraged. What do you do in this moment? If any of those things are true in your heart or more, I want you all to take then an even longer look. In this thing called the gospel. To take an even longer look. In what God has done for us. In the gospel of Christ. To to take your heart. And put it there. And to look long into all that is wrapped up. In what God has done for us. And in fact I could give you three verses. to, to, To take your heart to regularly. Regularly. Daily if you need to. Is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. I want to look at those one at a time. One at a time. First, verse 4. Paul is speaking about this incredible gospel and the reality of ministry and all this work that happens in the holding up and the holding out of this good news. And he says these words, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them From seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the gospel brings sight so that you can behold God's glory. What God does for you graciously through the gospel is to bring you to a place where you get to behold his glory. You don't get to behold his glory any other way apart from the gospel Yes, creation displays that God is glorious. But what I'm speaking of is this sort of glory that comes with this most incredible relationship that God has secured through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That He has made a way for us to come and see. So you and I daily need the reality of the gospel to grip our hearts so that we understand the scope and nature of grace that drives us to behold his glory we have here with us a relevant everyday aspect of how important this gospel is it's like it's like holding up a jewel and turning it and looking at it from different directions Yes, it's one jewel, but from different directions, you see different aspects of it. It's brightness, it's clarity, it's cut, all of that jump out at you when you turn it and you look at it from a different angle. Or for some of you who've been in an art museum, whether here in the United States or somewhere in the world, and you've stood at different parts of the room looking at an incredible piece of art, wondering what made that artist make that stroke go that direction. Or why that color right there? And you've studied it, and you looked at it, and you beheld it, and it was beautiful to you. And then you stood five feet away from where you were, and something new jumped out. You and I, we have this in the gospel. We have this. This incredible privilege to feed and fuel our hearts with grace and glory. It's all here. Zeroed in, narrowed down into this thing called the gospel. Look at verse 5 of 2 Corinthians. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ Christ. As Lord. He's the guy. He's the means. He's the blood. He's the sacrifice. He's God in the flesh and he's one of us. He's all of it and he's all your means to see and behold the beauty of God's glory. This is it. He's the one. Not something else. Not some religious function or formality. But Jesus We treat this as life and death just like the imagery is in Exodus 24 that we see Jesus as that supremely, infinitely valuable to us. And then verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the full measure of God's grace, land in its intended end, then you see here in Jesus, in the gospel, the means by which you get to behold God's glory. And God has graciously shown in your heart. Your heart. I don't know how many galaxies there are I don't really care because once it gets beyond 10, it's like, does it matter? <laughs> it's a lot. I don't know how many rocks are floating out there that could potentially be habitable for life. Maybe some of you saw the, the Mars landing this week and thought, wow, what an achievement. I mean, we went from here to like here. And maybe the scope of space, its beauty and its like awesomeness are so overwhelming to you, but also make you feel incredibly small. And if there is a God and he's tending to this cosmos, that's galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, you might think to yourself, who am I in light of all of this? And you find yourself thinking that, That God who brought forth those galaxies, this cosmos, that God shone the light of his grace in your heart. Yes, you. You, this so and so on this little tiny planet in this smallish galaxy, God came bursting down into your life so that you would receive his grace. And through faith in Christ, behold his glory and know that one day that faith will move to sight. The purpose of God's grace is to lead us to behold the beauty of God's glory. Sin blinds, grace gives sight. Glory moves from a consuming fire to fear to an everlasting beauty to behold. Because the God of all grace is most serious about a relationship with you. May our hearts be reset with such incredible news. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work in us, help us to see in Christ all that you have done so that by grace we may behold your glory, that it would be to us an everlasting, inexpressible joy, giving to us even now strength to endure a hard and harsh world with a weary or wobbly heart. Oh God, would you strengthen us as we see and behold your grace and glory through the gospel. And may it be to us strength and life now and forevermore. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Once again, we're going to head out um, the way you came in. Um, and we're going to start with the middle sections and then the outer ones once it's clear. Let's go with these words from the end of 1 Peter. May the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, may he restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you now and forevermore. To him be the glory. Amen.